sometimes they're going to keep talking and talking and talking and they're not going to get no out of them. Because sometimes when, it's, when they're not told and they accidentally say something, they can get in trouble. I feel like that just happens all the time with child abuse. No one really takes you seriously. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of NICE Talks. I'm Amy Thomas and I'm from the media team at NICE. In this episode, we will be discussing child abuse and neglect. Last year, NICE published a guideline on child abuse and neglect with a focus on recognition and response. But how exactly do these play out in the real world? I asked some of the committee members how exactly we spot the signs of abuse and what we do once we have. My name is Emma Harewood and my role is Child House Implementation Lead with University College London Hospitals. My role on the guideline development was uh, to be the health representative on a, on a team of experts that pulled together the guidance over a period of a couple of years. Cruelty to children is a, is a criminal offence and really adversely affects their health and their social development. It impacts on things like their growth, their language development, their ability to socialise and play. And then as adolescents it can increase the chance of antisocial behaviour, suicidal thoughts and self harm which is becoming more and more familiar within the media. What are the signs that a child may be being abused? So the guideline talks about two different things. It, it talks about signs that may make us suspect child abuse and signs that may make us consider child abuse. And the difference with those two really is that if it's one of the things that's marked as a suspect, it's important that professionals or the public will immediately go and alert uh, someone in social services. If it's consider, it really means we need to be thinking about are there any other signs, are there any other factors and what are colleagues in other agencies aware of. So to give you some examples of some of those signs they could be a child that is withdrawn a child that's self-harming or really seeking attention from a health professional in a way that is more than you would usually expect maybe that they've run away uh, that they're demonstrating inappropriate sexual behaviors it may be that they're repeatedly coming to school very dirty unclean having lots of illnesses and many of these things you could imagine are, uh, are very normal and, and other children may display those. And that's why it's important to talk to other colleagues and other agencies involved to start to put the jigsaw together. So the part of the guideline that I really like is the part that describes how practitioners should work with children and their families, how to involve them um, and how to make them really feel part of the decision making about the intervention. And we give some principles for engaging with children, which are just as important, in a way, as recognising the signs and symptoms. So this is Corinne Maychahal. She's the chair of the NICE Child Abuse and Neglect Guideline and a professor from the University of Lancaster. So principles uh, that are around really just listening to the child and finding out what it is they want to happen uh, in their situation and going at the child's pace, you know, not, not pushing them too much. So, so it's really about building a relationship with a child or building a relationship with a parent or a carer so that you, you then build up a, a, a relationship of trust where you can be honest and they can be honest with you and you can mm -hmm. find out more about what kind of help they need. So that's the kind of emphasis that we're trying to place here on recognition. And I spoke to some young people who have experience in this area too. What do they think? It's nerve-wracking. You don't want to tell no one because then you feel like you're doing the wrong thing for telling someone. Especially if you've got parents that, like, 
are the main cause of it and then you're telling someone about your parents, they find out and then they get, it gets worse. Mm -hmm. Maybe the way that they approach someone, like don't approach them with, are you alright, what's wrong, tell me this, tell me that. Because obviously if someone says are you alright, automatically you start crying because you know full well you're not alright but you can't tell them. So it's just the way that they speak to them, you like have a normal conversation with them and then work it into conversation. I think it's just about uh, being supportive and being able to listen more than give, it, give advice, listen to what's wrong first. Uh, in sessions where you sit down with like, let's say a psychologist, they say that uh, we have to pass on information, but um, I've seen where they don't always say that and then if this uh, like young person says something, it gets passed on without them uh, like acknowledging that it has been. So I think that's one of like, the major key points which I said that they should always be told that it has to be passed on. I think that you have to be careful about the power dynamics because it's really easy to like slip into that whole adults know better than kids and I think that that intimidates kids a lot especially when they're around adults that don't necessarily treat them like they should be treated. And once abuse has been detected, what can be done? Well, actually, what we often find is that we can step in even before that. So where there is a family that we may, may be concerned that abuse may happen, we see the strain starting to tell on a family. Perhaps it's, um, it's someone who is their first child or who, who had difficult experiences themselves in their own childhood. The important thing is to step in soon. So when we talk about early help, um, we mean things like providing practical and emotional support to families, whether that's through putting them in touch with, with food banks or other services that can help them practically. So some good examples of early help that can be offered are parenting programs. So there's a number of different types of evidence-based programs that we talk about in the guideline, but essentially it's around working with a parent to help them with their interactions with their children. So helping them learn how to cope with their children's behaviours or emotions, um, really empowering them as a parent and this is particularly if as a parent themselves they experience difficult times as a child and so they haven't got a role model um, necessarily to rely on. Many people think outside of children's services they think well if I report this the child's going to be taken away the family's going to be split up you know more children in care etc etc. This isn't what happens and what we need to get across is that we can work with families even after child abuse and neglect has occurred. It very much depends on the form it's taken, on its severity and on the willingness of the carers, the parents and carers, to change. And people can change and, they, and sometimes, you know, they want to change but they just don't know how or they don't have the resources to do that. So we've looked at interventions that actually mean that people can work with children and families after abuse has occurred, and there's not a huge amount of research, but there is some. We've also developed um, a guideline called a Quick Guide for Practitioners and Managers Supporting Children, Young Peoples and Families. It's a really user-friendly, well-presented document, just three or four pages. Um, it's really colourful and laid out clearly, so you can quickly find the scenario that the child is, is experiencing and the evidence-based intervention that matches. So the guideline has a particularly um, long list of recommendations for research, much more than you might find in, in other NICE guidelines. 
So some of the things that it talks about looking at is really understanding the effective interventions for children and it really encourages practitioners and providers um, to be thinking about research as they test out new models of care. Some particular areas where there are gaps are in the areas of grooming and in the areas of supporting fathers or, or male role models as they support children. And then some novel ideas around how we might use peers to support each other, peer-on-peer -peer support um, to recover from abuse, um, and other things like web-based programmes. So there's a huge um, lack of, of research in this area and I would really encourage practitioners working in this field to be always thinking about how they can research their practice. Well, I suppose what I want to do is to make sure that children and young people are themselves part of the solution to this problem, that we don't see them as objects to be rescued or that we actually see them as active in their solutions. And those principles that I referred to earlier try and do that. It's the only way we're going to start being able to really tackle this. You know, we've got to find ways of children being able to communicate better with professionals about abuse and neglect and to not feel that they're under further threat from the response. So there are some important messages here. One of those is building trust and communicating effectively. We can also look ahead to the future where there's hopefully more research in the area and young people are empowered to take control of their own care. If you do like our podcasts, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher mobile apps. Our Twitter handle is at NiceComs. Please do get in touch. We really like to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>